Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast. If you're anything like me, then you have a whole bunch of podcasts that you find really valuable for your life. But if you don't subscribe, then you probably don't listen to those podcasts. Subscribing is free, and if you'll do it, then every Tuesday after we upload these sermons online, you'll get a little notification from your podcast player telling you that we have a new episode online. And so I really, really do hope that you'll subscribe. I think it would be helpful for you in remembering to listen to these sermons. At the same time, if you find these sermons to be valuable, then I also would hope that you would leave us a rating and or review. I was recently reminded about the power of sermons going out into the internet. On Instagram, we asked a question, how did you hear about our church? And we were surprised when somebody simply responded by saying podcast. And so we probed a little bit further and this woman had searched for something specific in a podcast player and she had found our sermons and she's been listening to them ever since. Here's the reality. When you leave a rating or review on our podcast, it helps for more stories like this to happen. It helps more people find our sermons and listen to them, and hopefully then they are impacted by the things that we preach. And so I just hope that you'll consider at least taking just a minute to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast at. We would sincerely appreciate it. Again, I thank you for listening, and I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning again. Uh, I, I, I'm going to admit something. I don't want to, I don't like admitting this. I feel uh, ashamed to admit this. It's, it's completely wrong given what Jesus says in this passage of scripture, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, my, my sermons from this stage sound a lot better than my sermons when I'm just by myself praying to God. And uh, if you're anything like me, then, then oftentimes you can, you can kind of muster up the ability to pray well in public, but it's difficult to do it, you know, behind closed doors all the time. And sometimes, uh, if you're anything like me, and, and maybe you're not, you, you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling, and even when God is saying yes to things and you're seeing things happen, the, the actual prayer time can feel really like dry or almost unimportant and uh, I know that I, I can become, I, you know, I can, it can be like a, a to-do list item for me, like, well, I need to pray and I need to pray about these things and so I go through it and I do it and I check it off and, and I move on with my day and it's, it's like, did that really affect anything? Did that really matter and why, why did it feel so empty? I think that a lot of us uh, get hung up on praying more. Uh, I think if you're a Christian that at some point in your life you've been focused on trying to pray more. Uh, it may be, uh, you know, in the next couple months the thing that you decide to make your New Year's resolution. I will try to pray more. Even if you're not a Christian, I, I think there's a lot of people like this and I don't know if all of you are, but if you're not a Christian, you may still feel like you should pray more. Like I should just do more of that praying thing. I remember that one time I did it when things were bad and things seemed to get better and you know, I should do that more. 
but what we're going to see in this, this passage this morning is that maybe sometimes we should pray less. And, and as we pray less, maybe, maybe we'll pray better. And as we pray better, maybe then we will start to pray more. I know that's confusing, but it will make sense in a few minutes. Prayer can be so stagnant and, and so difficult and so hard. It, 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 for me, it's one of the hardest things to do. It's like it requires willpower to wake up each day and say, I'm going to do this again because you don't see results right away. You, you sometimes don't see results at all. And yet we're called to do it, and as a church, we believe that it is effective and powerful, and I gave the announcement about our prayer meeting earlier, and man, we've seen God answer so many prayers with a, with a yes in a positive way. He said yes to so many things that we have asked for, but it's really easy to be caught up in the nose and to think, wow, how come God isn't really listening to me? Prayer is, is difficult, it's a challenge, it's hard. And I think if we would pay attention to what Jesus says in this passage that we're going to look at today, Matthew 6, 5 through 15, then I think maybe we would begin to pray better, to pray better. Now you might say, and I know this is a common refrain in Christian circles, there's this idea that that there's no praying better or worse, right? Like you just talk to God. But I don't, I don't think that's actually true. I preached a sermon series uh, many years ago now called Receive. And in that series, I just looked at, at what Jesus said about prayer. And man, I, I hope you'll listen to it or think about listening to it. It's one of the few sermon series that I go back and listen to through the years to remind myself of what I said uh, you can find it at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash receive, uh, and, and I hope you listen to that. But in it, what was so interesting to me as I kind of unpacked Jesus' teachings on prayer is that Jesus does lay forth a lot of groundwork for what good prayer is. And I think for the most part, Christians, especially modern American Christians, have just kind of forgotten about it and said like, yeah, we just, I don't know, when I pray, I just kind of talk to God. And that's about the substance of what it means to pray. But this morning, as we look at a passage that contains, as Brandon alluded to earlier, the, the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, the famous prayer that we just prayed that, that churches all around the globe will pray this morning, as, as we open the passage that contains that, I think Jesus says something about, about prayer and how we ought to pray, that if we remembered it, then I think all of our prayer lives would become better. And, and I think at the heart of everything he said, even though he says, even though it's pretty lengthy, I think at the heart of it is this simple idea that when we pray, we must think of God as our heavenly Father. My proposition for this morning is simply this. You'll pray better if you'll think of God as your heavenly Father when you pray pray. Now for people who have been Christians a long time, who, who have the Lord's Prayer memorized, people that have been around the church for, you know, ever, for all intents and purposes, I think that, that the follow-up question to that is, well, like, obviously God is my heavenly Father, right? Like, obviously, I think of God as my heavenly Father. But I think while we know that theoretically sometimes, theologically sometimes, we don't always internalize it. It doesn't always affect the way that we truly engage with God. And I think that maybe is seen most clearly in our prayer lives. While many of you may know and understand that God is your heavenly father, I think that maybe you have not internalized it and maybe your prayer lives or your lack of prayer lives are really a result of not thinking about considering 
being excited about God being your heavenly Father. And here's how Jesus begins. In Matthew 6, 5 and 6, in the middle of this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded sermon by Jesus in Scripture. We're going through the, the middle third of it in this series of sermons. And, and, and he transitions away from what we talked about last week, giving money. If you're a visitor, aren't you thankful you didn't show up last week? And he transitions into prayer. And here's what he says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, for the Jewish audience that Jesus is talking to, they, they prayed a lot. I mean, by our standards, they... They prayed a whole lot. They would pray three times a day. Any good Jew would have prayed three times a day. The times were not set in stone for the Jewish people like we might think of for, for uh, Muslim people today. But, but usually morning, noon, and evening, they would stop what they were doing, whether they were in public or not, and then they would pray. And they would usually stand when they prayed. They would not bow down. They would stand and they would pray. And this may be exactly what Jesus has in mind when we come to this passage. People who are maybe intentionally going, well, it's almost noon, you know. I might as well take a walk down the street so that everybody knows that I'm a good and holy Jewish God-following person. And so they'd, you know, go down, walk by neighbor Bob's whose lawn's better than yours or whatever and, and go, oh, it's time to pray. And then stand there and audibly and loudly begin to pray. What we need to understand is as we think about these first words of Jesus and this sermon and this section on prayer is that Jesus is not restricting public prayer or audible prayer. In fact, Jesus prayed audibly and publicly quite frequently when you read the story of his life. Neither is the goal to condemn corporate prayer, that we would pray together. In fact, this is so interesting. I did not know this until this week, and I'm surprised by that, but I didn't. The Lord's Prayer is actually a prayer that is written in the plural in the Greek language that is written down for us. It seems when Jesus gives this prayer to us, he means for it to be done together. The issue is not the style or the place of prayer, but instead, Jesus' goal in these words is to purify our motives in prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, we talked about hypocrites last week a lot, and so uh, go back and listen to that, but a hypocrite was basically an actor, somebody who was trying to put on a spiritual part to look good spiritually in front of others. And here, part of what they were doing is they are doing their best to be praised by men for their prayer lives, which is super weird because what Jesus says about how we ought to pray in the Lord's Prayer is half about praising God. And we could all just guess and think about how, how it's almost impossible, right, to pray in order to receive the praise of men while still praising God at the same time. You have to choose. You pray for the praise of people or you pray in order to praise God. And so instead of that, instead of praying to look good in front of your peers, in front of other religious people, in front of other Christians, instead of that, he says that we are to go into a secret place to pray. 
This does not need to be taken literally. Again, this is about our motives. But what he is saying is that we should do our best to pray and to remember that when we pray, our focus is on God alone, not the people who may or may not be seeing us. We can pray publicly, but, and this is so hard, we should never pray to be seen by others. I said last week, I, oh man, I'm just admitting all kinds of things in this series, but I said that when we were celebrating Sukkot a couple of weeks ago, that when the camera got put on me and I knew a camera was placed on me and I was singing to Jesus, that I closed my eyes a little tighter because I didn't want to be on camera, on Instagram, not looking like I was really praising God. This is exactly what Jesus condemns in this passage of Scripture. When you pray, do not pray in order to be seen by others, but pray so that you may have an interaction with God, regardless of whether or not other people can see you. Now, I do think there's some practical advice here. I believe that if you're never praying alone and you're only praying when we have our two prayer sections in this service and you're only praying when you go to our prayer meeting and you're only praying with others at the dinner table and you're only praying you know, when your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa are around, then you are, then you are probably violating what Jesus has, has called you not to do here. I think if it doesn't condemn corporate prayer, it also says, hey, there must be some private prayer. It must be a part of your life. It's assumed, in fact, by the way, that people will pray. And for Jesus, I think it's assumed that people will pray privately. But notice this. This is so key to everything he says about prayer in this sermon. He says, your father will see. This is the Aramaic word, Abba and Abba a big deal has been made of this and a lot of people try to translate it daddy and that's probably closer to the English word father uh, but it doesn't connect to how the first century Jewish person would have used this word for their their uh, their dads even as adults. The, the word is closer to just how we use dad, right? Father feels so formal and rigid and what we say about Catholic priests but but this word, Abba, is meant to convey a deep, personal, loving connection between us and, and, and God. I think this is, is a huge idea. <laughs> we can view God in a variety of ways, right? I mean, we can view him as a dictator who sits in heaven and just tells us what to do. A lot of people have pictured him as a clockmaker or uh, somebody who just made the world and then you know said good luck out there I'll see you uh, you know I'll see you at the end you know good luck see what happens uh, but Jesus here reminds us in the midst of this conversation about prayer that when we pray we pray in private because we remember that our father our dad sees us when we pray I tried this just yesterday for the first time. It was kind of trippy and kind of weird. Um, but I was thinking about this word. And, and father, like I said, I, I've, I've never called my earthly dad father. But this Abba term, right? Like every Jewish kid that loved their dad and had a good relationship with their dad would have said Abba. That would have been like a normal thing. As long as they spoke Aramaic, that would have been like a normal interaction, and so yesterday, I have a great relationship with my dad, and I, I love him, and, and so for me, it's easy to make the connection to how good that is. I know that's not easy for everybody, but I, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to say dad when I talk to God. And it was, first of all, weird, right? It was just kind of strange, like, like I was on the phone with my dad. I had to remind myself, wait, I'm praying. 
the second thing that I felt was like, this feels too informal, right? Like this is like, I, it's like feels weirdly disrespectful. Like, I don't know why, but it doesn't feel very respectful. But the third thing it did for me is that it, and I wasn't, this was not intentional because I was preaching on this. This was just me trying it out, saying, well, I'm going to preach on this tomorrow, so I might as well just try saying dad, you know. It totally altered the way I communicated with God. It's really interesting because I think when we say father, we formalize it and, and, and maybe dad feels kind of disrespectful or, uh, or too informal or whatever, but it's not us who created that. It was the grace of God in Jesus' words, and we'll see this over and over here, that, that Jesus is the one who said, when you pray, remember that your, your dad, your daddy, your dad remembers and sees what you do in secret. If I have just one tip, and, and I know it's kind of crazy and kind of weird, but, but try praying and just instead of saying God every you know, two seconds as American Christians will do to fill space in their prayers, just try, try saying Dad. I actually found that I didn't say, it's weird, like I always start prayers, dear God. But would you ever say dear dad when you're talking to him? Would you ever go like, hey, dear dad? That'd be weird. My dad and I would have an uncomfortable, strange moment if I ever called him dear dad. It would be awkward but God doesn't tell us in prayer to say dear dad he says to pray our father or our dad and so try that with me but notice what he says about this this dad this father he says he sees what is done in secret more literally it is the the father the God who is in secret and I think this shows us two things one that when we are alone in the hard moments of life, in the moments that nobody else can see, when we're laying in our beds and we can't sleep and we just pop a prayer up to heaven, and God hears that prayer. But it also reminds us that he's with us even when we can't feel him or see him. Even when we're not at church or for them, the temple, God is still with us even when he is invisible. For me, this is really important. In my prayer life, sometimes it feels like God is invisible. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of this. He says, don't pray like those hypocrites who need to be in the streets because your dad sees what you do in secret. He is with you even when he is invisible to you. We never need to question if we're Christians, if God is far or near to us. He is always near to us. I know this is a common refrain and I think it affects our prayers. People commonly will say, I just wish I felt closer to God. In those moments, return to the words of Jesus and remember that we serve a God who is in secret. He's still there and he's still listening. He's still hearing. Not only that, but he'll reward you. That's pretty good. Question becomes, what are the rewards? And I talked a lot about rewards last week, but today I just want to say I think there's there's three rewards that we get from prayer. The first is that I think prayer grows us. Prayer has an impact on our lives. We are better when we pray. I notice this in myself. It's 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 almost miraculous feeling. It's something that I can't explain. But when I pray, when I spend more time with God, I just become a better man. Even if I'm not praying to become a better man, I just simply become a better man. There is something about coming to God in prayer that alters us, that changes us, that grows us, that moves us forward. 
I think that the other thing that we see is that God answers our prayers. I mentioned earlier that we, we see tons of yes answers to our prayers in this church. And, and here's what I'm convicted of in my own life. I pray for something, pray for something, pray for something. And then God does it and I move on like it didn't even happen. I don't even stop to say thank you. I'm just like, sweet, good. The doctors did it or, you know, whatever. Like I find almost excuses for why it wasn't an answer to my prayer. I think we would be so much better to say thank you God for rewarding me by answering that prayer and celebrating the things that God has done as something we're working on as a church. And then I believe that when we see rewards in scripture, and I made this so clear last week, that we, we, we must also remember that we will be rewarded eternally. Our prayers rise to heaven like a sweet aroma, the book of Revelation tells us. The prayers of God's people rise to him as an offering, and I think we will be rewarded for giving those offerings to God. He continues in verses seven and eight, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Notice the change from hypocrites to pagans. Hypocrites were people who, who, who were religious but put on a show and pagans are people who, who, who aren't God followers, aren't God people that, that are not Jewish people in this context but today we would say are not Christian people. Uh, they are people that don't know God as their father. I think that that is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And he says when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites but also don't pray like the pagans who believe they'll be heard for their many words. They babble. This word babble is really interesting. Some people uh, think it's an uh, onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like it's meaning. You babble on. But some people would think that it is a word that refers to the amount of words or the volume of the words. But here's what you need to know about it. This style of prayer is a style of prayer that is convinced you need to talk God into listening to you and to caring about the things that you are asking him to do for you. It assumes that we must demand God's attention and then inform him of our needs. But when we remember that God is our dad, our heavenly dad, we know that we don't need to try to get his attention. He wants to give us his attention. He's called us to prayer. And we don't need to talk him in to doing something for us. He wants to work in our lives. And he's always working for what is best for us. And as Jesus points out here, we don't need to inform him even of the things going on in our lives. He already knows them. Many words is to heap up empty phrases. The idea is that people are speaking empty words, not that they're speaking too much. We're allowed to pray a lot, but what we should not do is pray a whole bunch and not really think about what we're saying. I, man, this is it. There's something in Christian, there's, well, there's a lot of things about American Christianity, but one of them is just this. I mean, we pray things, and I don't think we have a clue what we are actually asking God to do. I mean, I already said we say God every, you know, every other line in our prayers to fill in space, but I also think that we say things like, God bless them. And, and I'm convinced, I'm convicted, in fact, that we must, we, we would be better off if we thought, what would a blessing in this person's life? What do I mean by that? What I think we're doing is simply saying, well, I should pray for that person, God bless him, but we don't mean anything by it. And that's exactly what Jesus is condemning here. Don't babble on when you're not actually engaged with what you're saying. We can pray a lot and not actually pray anything at all. 
I think that what we, we should do, and, and I've tried to do this, and I, I fall back into the temptation of praying like a pagan, but I, I think that my prayer life is better when I come to God and I ask very specific things. If I want that person to get a new job because they're struggling financially, I, I shouldn't say, God bless them. I should say, God, please give them a new job. I, I think that we would pray better if we could at least know whether God said yes or no to our prayer requests, right? Like, like a lot of things we pray right now, we'll have no idea if God ever says yes to them because we didn't really mean anything when we prayed them. But when we say, God, please do this, please do that, please fix this, well, then at least we'll know whether God said yes or no to our prayers. I think even when I pray for people's salvation, which I try to do every single day, that often I say, God, lead them into a relationship with you. It's a good prayer, right? It sounds great. It sounds very Christian-like. I think it's a good thing to pray. Uh, but I don't believe that God actually demands that anybody comes into a relationship with him. What I believe about Christ is that he came to this earth to die for our sins and then he extends the invitation to come into a relationship to him with every single person. He just says, hey, you're welcome. Here's the story. You're a sinner. I've died to save you. You can have a relationship with me. And I don't believe that God forces anybody into a relationship with him. So when I say that God leads them in a relationship with you, what do I even mean? And so I do better when I say, God, surround them with other Christians. Put a Christian in their life that is genuinely living for you. Put a Christian in their life that will tell them about you. Give me words to speak to them so that I might tell them about you. Give me the courage to speak to them about you. I think that Jesus, yeah, he's condemning, you know, just a bunch of babbling when we stand on the street corners and all that. But I also think he's saying, look, when you pray Really consider what you are praying about. But you don't need to just keep saying a whole bunch and think you'll talk God into responding because, as he says here, your dad already knows what you need. We don't pray in order to tell God the things that we have going in our lives. He's well aware of those things. It does beg the question, why do we pray then? And, and most commentators simply say, well, we pray because it has an effect on us, something I've already mentioned. Man, I, I think, I, I've been a Christian too long to think that's true, frankly. And no offense to these guys that are a lot smarter than me. But I know, I, I know that prayer is effective, and, I, and by that I mean that prayer, God responds to prayer. He does work when we pray, and he seems to do different work when we pray than if we don't pray. Uh, there's no way I can be talked out of that because I've seen it over and over and over again. God responds to our prayers. Now, how that all works, <laughs> I have no clue. I wish, I, I know I'm preaching a sermon and I should probably have a clue, but like how that works with God knowing what's going to happen and God's plan and his directing us into in you know, his ultimate goal and his ends and how that all interacts and intertwines. I would be totally lying if I said I get, oh, here's, here's five points that explain why prayer is effective even when God knows everything that's gonna happen and he's already working and all that. I would be lying if I said I got it. But it's so clear to me in the Bible and in my life that God responds to our prayers. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. I stole that quote from somewhere. God moves when we pray and he moves in a different way when we pray. 
And so while God may know exactly what you need and what you're going through and what you're struggling with, you need to pray because it will affect you. It will remind you of the greatness of God. It will remind you that you're not alone in this. It will remind you that there's help out there. But also, I think God will respond. He may not always say yes, but he will respond in some way that is different than if you did not pray. It just happened to me the other day. I, um, I have this grand vision for for my life, I guess, and, and what God's called me to do. You can ask me about it sometime. And, and a lot of times, uh, as our, frankly, as our church grows, I feel in some ways like I'm further away from that vision because there's more work here and, and my job changes. And um, that doesn't mean I want us to stop growing, keep bringing people. I love it. I love that we keep running out of chairs. But, but, it, but I, I feel further away sometimes. And, and I'm leading this small group, and, and I lead a small group every year on... on uh, on vision and the vision of our life and, and what God is calling us to and the big picture and what we're trying to accomplish and all these types of things. And, and I'd had my small group meeting a couple of days before and, and then I had been at this event where this guy talked about when you have a vision, you need to come to God and you need to bother God and say, God, you gave me this vision. Like you need to do something about it. So I was running. I don't do that very often, but I was running and, and I, I just stopped. I didn't want to be running anyway. And uh <laughs> And I said, there's a break. If I'm praying, it's a good excuse, right? And I said, God, like, I don't feel any closer to this thing that you've called me to. I don't feel any closer. And, and you need to do something about it. Like, it's not my idea. It's your idea. And so, please, do something about it. And I kid you not, that evening, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And this is somebody who knows this vision for my life and is, is passionate about me fulfilling it but we haven't talked about it in a really long time they came up to me and they said I want to do whatever I can to help you move forward in that vision I don't think it would happen if I didn't stop my jog to pray it was like God said yes usually he doesn't say yes that quickly I always I want a million dollars no it didn't work uh, you know like it doesn't work that quickly but it did that day because God responds to our prayers but in order to pray like this, to come back, you have to think of God as your dad and not some, some distant deity that you must talk into caring about you. It's not about praying a lot of words. It's about praying for specific things and trusting that God loves you and wants to help you in this journey called life. I also attempted to do this this week in a different way. I, I said, I'm just, I'm not going to add any filler to my prayers. I did this in one of my, my prayer times this week. I'm just going to, I'm going to be so specific and there's no dear gods and it's just, I'm saying it, just exactly what I want. And you know what happened? I ended up praying just longer, actually, I think, and so much better. I just felt better about it. It was like, even if something doesn't happen, at least I said these things in a very specific way to God. At least I've got off my chest exactly what I want from God. I want you to do this, and I would like this, and I would like this, and I would like this. And I did it all thinking of like, how would I ask my dad for something? I can tell you, I just, I would not walk up to my dad and, you know, like go all old English. Oh, daddy-o, you know, like I can't do old English. I had a professor that could pray in old English. If thou willest, then will you, please, please. I, it would never look like that. If I needed to borrow money from my dad, I'd be like this. Hey, this is a little embarrassing, but we're a little short this month. Can you give me some money? I just think we'd be better prayers if we're like, hey, heavenly dad, 
we spent a little bit too much money. I'm sorry for that greed. We did that thing that probably we shouldn't have done, and we're going to come up a little short this month. Can you help us out? Hey, hey, heavenly dad, like, I was a super big jerk to my spouse. It's created a weird tension between us. Can you just, like, heal that and help us to forgive each other? Hey, heavenly dad, uh, I struggle with this coworker. Like, they, they're a jerk, and I am getting more and more angry, and I'm fed up, and I don't even like going to work. Can you somehow just work in our relationship and, and make it better, make it smoother, help us to get along? I think I see it in your eyes. It's like better praying, right? Than what we do. This, I don't know, this, this babble that goes on in the American church today that doesn't seem to really mean anything at all and, and cannot be answered with a yes or a no. And then Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the famous prayer that we read earlier. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer can be used for simple repetition like we did it this morning. Uh, It can be used for a, a template for extended prayer. It can just be used to teach us in general about prayer and its priorities and uh, and I'm going to take kind of some middle ground, and all those things are right. I'm not saying that's, a, like, that's not an or thing. That's, you can use the Lord's Prayer in all of those ways. This morning, I want to kind of take a general look at the prayer and, and think about some of the things that it says. And the first thing that you have to notice, and I think, man, this, this would change so many of our prayers. The first half of it is about God and His glory. Now, when you're saying dad, right, if you, if you adopt this language and you start saying dad, it feels a little informal. It feels like, like we're maybe, I don't know, dishonoring. It doesn't feel like we're giving God the weight that we should. And maybe Jesus saw that coming. And he said, but when you start your prayers, spend the first half asking God to be glorified, asking God to be honored, asking God's name uh, to make his name great, asking God for his kingdom to be moved forward. It's all about God and Him and His greatness and His holiness. It's interesting, the Ten Commandments take a similar track. He starts and he says, look, begin it by just worshiping God, worshiping your Father in heaven, worshiping your dad who is in heaven. I think if we forget that it's a dad in heaven and we treat him like a dad on earth, then we, then we will become too informal. We will become disrespectful. But when we remember that he is God who chooses by his grace and his goodness to allow us to call him dad. He is God who has allowed us to be adopted into his family by his grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then when we call him dad, it will come with a level of worship and honor. Our Father who art in heaven. He combines his fatherly love with his heavenly power, as as one author put it. Prayer should be an expression of the relationship of trust which follows knowing God as our dad. And to add to that, recognizing that he sits enthroned in heaven, ruling and reigning over all. You will pray better if you think of God as your heavenly dad. And just some specifics. 
He talks about his name and his kingdom and his will. And when you say, hallowed be your name, you've, you've probably prayed that before. You just did with us. Hallowed be your name. You're not asking God to become holy. You're asking that God's holiness will be recognized. I think first in you, God, help me to, as I call you dad by your grace, help me to remember that you are holy, you are set apart, you are utterly different than anybody else on earth or anything on earth. We recognize in ourselves the holiness of God, but we're also praying that our society and our culture and our world would recognize the greatness of God. When we ask for God's kingdom to come, we must recognize that the kingdom has come in Jesus. It came upon people when Jesus arrived, but that kingdom is not fully in place. God is reigning, but not all people have given in to his reign. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we pray that all people would recognize God as king and that we more would recognize God's kingly reign. In Matthew 6, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's in the middle of a section on worry and when we pray, we should be seeking first God's kingdom to move forward, his rule on this world to move forward and then we ask God to do stuff for us. And then when we see that we should pray for God's will, we're talking about his rule expanding on this earth in us again and in other people's lives. God reigns, but we also want God's rule to be in the, over everybody. We want people to be more and more obedient. We ourselves want to be more obedient to God as it is in heaven. And that's connected to all of those things. God, be recognized as holy like you are in heaven. God, let your kingdom be full like it is in heaven. God, let your will be done like it is in heaven. And then, and I love this, because it would be so easy to picture God as just not caring about us at all. Just glorify, worship, honor me. He says, hey, after you've spent half of your prayer time worshiping God and asking that more and more you would worship God and others would worship God, after that, then you pray for your daily bread. You ask for God to meet all the necessities of your life. <laughs> the Greek word for daily is a bit complicated, which is super weird. Like, how, how complicated can the word daily be? But, but it means something like this, for the coming day. It reminds us of this story in the Old Testament where the Jews were wandering in the wilderness and every day they relied upon God sending down this bread called manna from heaven. And, and they never got to keep enough. They never got to store anything up. They just, they just woke up the next day and said, well, we don't eat today if God doesn't provide. And I think like we celebrated in Sukkot a couple of weeks ago, God is reminding us in this prayer that every day we need his provision. It's so, man, it is so easy as American people who live in suburban, middle class to upper middle class society to forget that we have any need for God at all when it comes to our daily provisions. But when we pray, it should serve as a reminder to us that every day we need God to work. I watched this movie uh, in the last couple of weeks called The Same Kind of Different as Me. Have you seen this? It's so good. Like Christians get so excited about Kanye West albums and like uh, new Christian movies, but I never actually uh, heard of this. I knew it was a book, but it's this incredible story of a, a very wealthy art dealer who befriends a homeless guy. Art dealer's white, homeless guy's black. They grew up in totally different worlds. They, they have you know, seemingly nothing in common, but they bond. 
And it all happens because the, the wife of this rich art dealer is a, uh, a Christian who has this vision of this man, this homeless man. She sees him in her dreams and knows that they should connect with him, and they do at a, at a soup kitchen. Incredible movie. You should definitely go watch the movie. I can wholeheartedly recommend it to you. But in there, there's this line where this rich art collector is so arrogant, and he's driving his super cool collector's car to the soup kitchen, and this one person looks at him and says, yeah, you're like one bad thing away, from happening away from being here with us. And then he hears these stories of these people who, who had good jobs and lived good lives and then something happened, medical problem, a job loss, and they ended up in this, you know, this place where they're getting free food. And I think that that is at the heart of why we pray for our daily bread, for God to provide for us today because because every day we need God whether we feel like it or we don't feel like it. And then he says, forgive. Pray for forgiveness, man alive. You have to do this. If you're not a Christian, man, you need to ask God for forgiveness. You, you need to come into a relationship through, to, with him by, by the story I just told about Jesus' death and resurrection. Because otherwise God is not your father and you've not been adopted. And you can't trust or believe anything that I've said about your life today. But even when we are Christians, we must ask God to forgive us for the little things. I would do that with my dad. My dad once told me I never had to apologize to him, but I still would as a good adult grown son. If I did something that hurt my dad's feelings, that was jerky, if I was not nice to him, then I would apologize just to make sure that the relationship was good and whole. And God says, look, when you pray, ask for forgiveness. But as you do that, you must, you must forgive others. You must forgive others. I think that every prayer time should probably be a time for us to forgive. Whoever we need to forgive, our spouse, our coworker, our boss, our brother, our sister, our mom, our dad, our aunt, our uncle, whoever's been bothering us. You could put this into practice this holiday season because you're gonna see people and they're gonna bother you and, and then you're gonna need to forgive them. And, and when you pray, you need to forgive because in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. You must be a person of forgiveness if you want to be forgiven. I'm reminded of what Matt talked about in our communion uh, portion of our service last week when he told the story of Corey Tinboom, and he didn't tell much of that story, but the story is this. She's at a conference. She speaks on the love and forgiveness of God. Corey Tinboom, by the way, uh, was a woman who was persecuted horribly during the Holocaust living in a concentration camp, it was awful for her. She gives this sermon on forgiveness and how God forgives and how we must forgive everybody. And afterwards, one of the soldiers from the concentration camp comes up to her and he sticks his hand out to her, wants to shake it and says, can you even forgive me? And she describes in her book this moment where she, she's like, can I? Can I actually do it? But she realizes that if she's not going to be a hypocrite, if she's not just playing a part of forgiveness, then she must. And she extends her hand and she shakes his hand and she describes it as a magical moment. One of the great signs that we have been forgiven is that we have a newfound ability to forgive others. But we must also forgive if we want to be forgiven. Not forgiven for our salvation, but forgiven so that we may be in a right relationship with God. And then, and man, this is so, so much bigger than what we sometimes pray about. I mean, we're like, hey, God, help us have a good day. That's, I, we say that, right? I say that all the time. Help me have a good day. What does that even mean, a good day? No day's perfect. No day's 
perfectly terrible. What does that mean? But, but he gets to this part and it's so much bigger. He says that we must ask God to protect us from temptation and deliver us from evil. God does not tempt us to sin. He does test us, but either way, we, we should be asking God not to let us be in situations where we are tempted to turn our backs on him. God, don't even let me go through it today because I know I'm weak. I know I might fall. Protect me from temptation and deliver me from evil. We don't take supernatural evil seriously enough sometimes. The devil and his helpers are prowling around like lions looking to attack those of us who are trying to live for God. But we must also, while we believe that, remember that our God is bigger and stronger. I think many people give the devil far too much attention. And they forget that he who is in them is greater than he that is in the world, Satan himself. But we should pray, protect us from evil. And then we should trust that God will at least protect us to the best point for what is good for us. When I pray this part and I follow this example of prayer, I, I, I ask God to protect me from all kinds of things that extend from evil, uh, protect us from shootings and from natural disasters and everything that is an extension of fallen humanity's evil. You see, what Jesus has given us here is something that we can copy at a church service, but it's also something that we need to think through when we pray. I worship God. I pray his kingdom will be moved forward. And then I turn and say, God, meet my daily needs. And then I forgive people and ask for forgiveness. And then I say, God, there's these giant spiritual needs in my life too. Help me with those things. And we do all of it remembering that God is our heavenly dad. I think this is an incredible blueprint to follow that would radically change our prayer lives. I do this sometimes. I'll begin praying. I'll say, God, be worshiped. And then I'll turn and I'll say, expand your kingdom. Lead more people to Jesus. That's kind of how I interpret that in my own prayer life. Bring these people into a relationship with you. And then I'll, I'll go from there and I'll say, God, let your will be done. Help me to sin less. Help your sons and daughters, the people at our church, to do your will more fully. Produce the fruit of the Spirit in me. Help me to live out your divine nature. And then I'll turn and I'll do all the normal prayer stuff. God, give us this. Give us that. Help us with that. Help us with that thing. And then I'll flip back and say, and God, please forgive me for my sins. I need it. And then I'll say, and help me to forgive others. And usually I don't have to spend too long on that, thankfully. I'm a pretty forgiving person. And then I'll go from there and I'll say, God, and please, I, I have all these things that I mess up on daily. Please don't even let the temptation to come, don't let the temptation to do those things even come today. And God, protect me from all this evil that's in this world. Help me get through it. Protect my children from it. Keep my daughter safe at school. All of these things. We follow this blueprint and we are careful to not be, pr to be praying, to be seen. We don't pray mindlessly. We don't pray for uh, our glory, but we pray for the glory of God and we pray that it'll meet our needs, physical and spiritual, but we do it all. We do it all remembering that God is our heavenly dad. It's the only way we can do this. We do it all remembering that God is our heavenly dad. I just want to just finish by saying I, I get, man, our dads can play such a, such a big role in how we view God. 
I would venture out on a, a limb. I don't think it's a real thin limb, but I would venture out on a limb and say that most people kind of view God like we view our dads. And for a lot of people, that, that's, <laughs> that's not going to elicit much prayer. You don't want to be with your dad. You don't want to engage your dad. You're scared of your dad or you were scared of your dad and those things still kind of exist in you. Uh, our dads can be both good and bad representations of what God is like. If you are a dad, remember that and do your best to represent God well. But I would just end by saying that I've had a great dad. I have a great dad. I'm skipping church today, but I still have a great dad. Um, <laughs> and he has been an incredible example of what God is like to me. <laughs> he is far from perfect, but I think that he's done almost a perfect job in how he has interacted with me in my life. And I can tell you that he is, he always is happy to hear my phone calls. He is always happy to hang out with me. He always wants to be with me to talk to me, to hear how I'm doing. He always wants to help me when he can. He always is there for me when I need him. There is not a person on this earth, except maybe my grandma, that, that I would reach out to when things are hard or difficult, faster than my dad. In my worst moments, in my hardest moments, in moments of fear, I have wanted to call him. And when you think about God as your dad, you should think about somebody like mine. Don't tell him I said it but you should think about somebody like mine who wants to hear from you, who wants to help you, who is paying attention to you, who cares deeply and passionately about the things going on in your life. And if it is in your best interest, will do everything in his power, which is all power, to help you get through that thing. When you pray, you pray to a heavenly dad. Remember that. Let me pray that you will. <laughs> My dad in heaven, I pray this morning that I'm going to try to be specific and short, Lord. I pray that you would help each of us internalize these words. I pray that each of us, Lord, would become better prayers, not because we have magical words, not because we pray more, although we maybe should, but because we'll remember that you are our heavenly father. I pray, God, for people right now who are listening online, people in front of me right now, and people who will listen later that have not given their lives to you. And I pray, God, that by the power of your spirit, you would draw them to yourself, that you would use the words of my sermon to convict them of their sin and to convict them of their need of a savior. I pray for those of us that are Christians, God, that our prayer lives would not be stagnant. And if they are, God, that they, they would become... They, they would be full of life again because we would pray to you, God, as our heavenly dad, remembering that we have been adopted into sonship, God, and by that sonship, we can cry unto you, Abba, Father. I pray, God, that this would be a church that prays with perseverance and, and fortitude and passion, God, because we remember that you care about us deeply and passionately. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.